0: The path doesn't have to be straight. We have a and lot
1: more information. That we your can job is to have an acting picture why it's hard. Hard. value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts
0: now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Hey everybody, it's Sue and Vanessa with We Get Real AF. Hey there guys, today
1: we are going to be doing something a little different. We're going to be doing somewhat like we did with the CES episode, reviewing some in-the-news tech science things that we thought were really interesting and hoping to do a little bit more of this coming up in uh, future episodes because Sue and I have some things that we're cooking up that we're going to be really excited to share here within the next couple of weeks with you.
0: Absolutely. And Vanessa, there's been... I mean, there's always amazing technology news going on, but it feels like in the last couple of months, there've been some really standout things that are, if nothing else, very, very thought provoking. So you guys, what we thought we would do is highlight four of these. Um, Some are exciting and positive. Some are are kind of scary, (laughs) but all are worth talking about. All right. So the first thing I want to talk about is news that came out um, in April. About researchers in the US and China who announced that they had created embryos that combine human and monkey cells for the very first time. So, so far, these things are called chimeras, and so far, they're no more than budding cells in a lab dish. But the implications, experts say, are far reaching because um, obviously there's a lot of ethics that are involved in this. The use of primates, um, in particular, Primates are so closely related in human de- to human DNA that there are questions about what you know what path this is taking us on. So I don't know, Vanessa, I'll pause there. If you've had a chance to read any of, of this news, uh, what your thoughts are.
1: Um, I've read High Level, and I know we've had some conversations based on some of the, the headlines and, and blurbs that I've read on social media. Um, it's, it seems very scary to me that we're making a hybrid bang made up of an animal and a human, and then you have animal rights activists, and then you obviously have the human element. So where are the boundaries between you're doing something wrong? This, this thing that you're creating is going to have like feelings. Are they going to be able to think, how are they going to be treated? Who's going to, who's going to dictate how they're going to be treated and what type of rights they have? It just, it's a little much for me personally.
0: Yeah. So, I feel the same way you do. And to be very clear, it's very early days. Right now, these these human monkey embryos um, can only survive 19 days in a Petri dish. It is not, in fact, the very first time that scientists have ever combined animal DNA with uh, human DNA. Um, Researchers use rats with human tumors to study cancer, and they use mice with human immune systems to conduct AIDS research. But obviously, what makes this latest experiment so unique is that they've injected human stem cells, which can become any type of tissue into an embryo of a closely related primate. So, you know, those who are concerned about it are saying there's not really a way to control what what type of tissue stem cells grow into. Could it possibly be that the cells um, could expand throughout the chimera? Uh, could could it affect and make the brain of the chimera smarter? And what's really interesting is there was another study done several years ago where the University of Rochester transplanted human fetal brain cells called astrocytes into young lab mice. And they discovered that within a year, the human cells had taken over the mouse brains. And standard tests for mouse memory and cognition showed that the altered mice we're smarter. So there's a potential to radically humanize the biology of laboratory Mm -hmm. animals. That is um, kind of the the takeaway of all this. And again, early days, early stages, but early is the time to really start asking these questions amongst bioethicists and amongst the rest of Mm -hmm. us about where is this taking us? And just because we can do something, should we? Exactly or again, early stages, but
1: down the road, what is the sole purpose here? Are we harvesting organs? Is that the the goal here at the end of the day? Which I understand why we need organs and people who are in the need of these types of organs are waiting, you know, they're, they're waiting lists and some of them pass on before they even get the organ they need. I understand that piece of it. However, mm-hmm. if this chimera, to your point, Sue, if the stem cells like do whatever they do to make this more of a human versus an animal are we infringing on the rights of this new being you know how who are we to take their lung or their heart or whatever it is and i know we're this is hypothetical right but these are the things that i mean you see these in movies right going back to like our talks about hollywood predicting the future and i don't know
0: it's just it feels weird it feels really weird (laughs) Well, and it's interesting to me, it is a research project between the Salk Institute for Biological Studies in La Jolla, California, and China's Gunming University of Science and Technology. And so what's really interesting is that these types of experiments are highly, highly regulated and banned and more difficult to do in general in European countries. Used to be more difficult to do them in the U.S. That is changing. This is a U.S. and China partnership. And part of, of the reasoning for doing these types of experiments is to try to address diseases like perhaps brain disorders. Um, one condition that was mentioned was autism. Could we genetically cure, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. autism? Interesting. Yeah, and I think that we've had these
1: conversations, too, about you know it, between altering DNA for disease, and what you consider disease, and then what is more cosmetic, and altering DNA for cosmetic reasons before potentially, a, mm-hmm. you know, a baby is born. Do you want blonde hair, blue eyes, right. or whatever the case? Um, versus, or a really high, high IQ enhancement. Versus, again, you know, right? if you know, you know, my my child is going to have autism, and I have an opportunity to alter the DNA to where the the baby won't. Do you, as a parent? then make that tweak, quote unquote, in your in the DNA. So it's just one of those things of like, what do you do? Where where do you cross the line? You're making a decision for a baby who hasn't been born. It's like this big, big, big onion. And you peel back the layers and you're like, okay, where does it stop? Like, where where are the boundaries? And we as humans, like, who is that ethical body to control or, or to say what's right and what's wrong?
0: Exactly. And it does seem to... On the one hand, yeah. If if there's things we can do to stop human suffering, we already do that with surgery. We already do that with um, robotic implants and and medications and things like that. And and we generally consider those things good things. I had LASIK surgery. Mm -hmm. I can see better, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, than my genetically predetermined to be very nearsighted Mm -hmm. eyes. So, So it is a very slippery slope because in the spirit of inclusivity and diversity, you know, if if we have the ability to create all smart and this is very far down the road like mm-hmm. right? we're talking sci-fi but you know <laughs> i think it's how far down the road <laughs> exactly if if we have the ability to genetically predetermine how smart, how strong, how athletic, how whatever our child will be even if we don't think that that's morally what we should be doing if everybody else's kids are all those things is there now a cultural pressure in the future someday, for us to have to enhance our progeny so that they don't become second-class citizens. So completely opposite of diversity and inclusion, which is what we say we purport to value right. now.
1: Well, even if we're going back to the example of uh, autism and something that's, I think, more relatable in, in terms of a parent wanting to do the best for their children and if you have an opportunity to stop that mm-hmm. before it becomes you know, real do you have accessibility to that? What's the cost? And if -hmm. if you have the finances to do that as your family, is that being offered to, you know, somebody in a different socioeconomic background? So is it equal? And then how much division is that creating on our society, even more so than it is now, like all the dividing. So it's, it's not just a one cut and dry answer. There are so many things that affect. It's like this domino. You you hit the domino, mm-hmm. and then it just affects like that very very last one. You know, like down the down the line. So I, yeah, to your point, is very very early on. But this is the time to start questioning and asking and and having the conversations, not just in the lab, but as a society. To what are we going to accept? What are what are we going to allow? And then. Who is that body? Who is that body that we're going to trust to say, yes, this is right. No, this is wrong. And how do we select those people?
0: Right. And and what principles guide their decisions? Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's happening. It's in a Petri dish right now. The chimera only survives 19 days, but it is still a, a very notable breakthrough development in the world of bioethics. <laughs> and so we wanted to share that with you guys today. Yeah, yeah.
1: And this is a side note, it reminds me of a movie. I can't remember the name of it right now, but Keira Knightley is in it. And she's basically, every every human has an avatar. And the avatar is a live and breathing human. It almost looks like a tw- your, your twin, right? But that twin only exists to help the real version of this person. So if that person gets in an accident, you basically have an organ that you take from the, the avatar twin or whatever, and it, this is kind of like where my head goes. I always go, I always relate it back to something I've seen in, in a Hollywood film. But I'll have to find that name and put it in the in the show notes, that movie.
0: I, I think that Karen Knightley's already been
1: genetically. engineered <laughs> <to> be <perfect.
0: laughs> She just looks too perfect. She's so <laughs> beautiful. Yes. Exactly.
1: No, that was a really interesting movie though. Like where because yeah. I mean they're living, breathing things, they have emotions, they they operate just like a human, but they literally their sole existence is to protect the the real version of that person. I don't even know what to call it. Mm-hmm. Like, cause that person has the soul, but these people are living, breathing things with their own souls. It's just very crazy. And we're having conversations. You about
0: know, and all these things sound crazy, but to, as we've said so many times before, I think sci-fi, we think, <laughs> I believe sci-fi um, does inform where technology and science take us. So we can roll our eyes, but We ought to be doing a little thinking Mm -hmm. about it, too, because it's coming. Absolutely.
1: Hey, everybody. Sam McLean here from InPhase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, inphase.biz. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, um, we're going to lighten the the mood just a tad and then, you know, we'll go down this little dark road that this thing has. But (laughs) Apple introduced this uh, actually just a few weeks ago, I feel, um, the AirTag, which basically works alongside the Find My app on the Apple ecosystem. It looks like, I don't know, the size of a quarter and it's a tag that you put on your On your belongings, like if you have a piece of luggage or if you have a laptop bag, if you have something that you don't want to go missing and you're traveling. I mean, that's kind of like the idea behind it. You just buy one of these little things, you pop it on, and you can locate your items. Now you have to be within a certain proximity. Great. In like high-level theory, right? Well, obviously... Apple put out in advance, hey, this is encrypted. Um, the NFC, which is like the near field communication, um, is super secure. Don't worry. Well, a few weeks in, it's we have like hackers hacking into it, showing you how to hack into it online with video. So if you didn't know already, they're going to walk you through it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> YouTube is so great I use YouTube tutorials
1: all the time I right know if I could use them for so that <laughs> basically you're and if you've if you've heard of the term jailbreaking you can jailbreak these air tags um and you, hackers or stalkers are doing that so the concern is not so much that they will hack into your air tag which I'm sure that a hacker's looking to do that you know and we'll we'll see this in the next few weeks but it's more so that they will purchase an AirTag and drop it in your bag without you knowing. And then they control that AirTag with the, the behind-the-scenes, nefarious things they've been doing on their computer. So, oh. so oh yeah, um, all that to say, we don't know. Uh, th- there's obviously nefarious intent out there. That's not what Apple wants, and that's not what we want, right? And we've always, ta- always talked about that the technology is not the bad thing, right? It's the people that are operating the technology. So there are some definite opportunities here to make this type of tech tool better, but I don't think it was well thought out just off of like my first impressions. If you have an AirTag... This is how it's supposed to work. If you have an AirTag that isn't yours, that's not connected to that Bluetooth device that you've, you know, attached it to in the Find My with the Apple ecosystem, it's supposed to alert you. It's supposed to like go off and it'll sound, and then you say, "Oh, well, that's not mine. Like, where did it come from?" However, again, I go back to the hackers going in and manipulating this thing and say, telling it to do the things that it wasn't designed to do, and then where you left, you know, like all the good things that Apple wanted it to do
0: are being erased and reprogrammed. I I put this in the category of technology trying too hard to solve a problem that probably doesn't require a technological solution. Mm,
1: good point. <laughs> you know? Good point. Yeah. I mean I feel like there might be other um I don't know. I remember the infomercials when I used to watch TV as a kid, you know, something that you would find at like Bed Bath and Beyond later, <laughs> you know, that might solve this issue versus Apple with the air tags, you know.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, that's my take on that one. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting, though. Facebook is looking to kind of move into the phone space that is controlled by Apple and Android um, so that they have access to more people. So, in pursuit of that, Facebook is taking a crack at its very first smartwatch, which the company has not confirmed publicly, but they currently plan to debut it next summer. The device will feature a display with two cameras that can be detached from the wrist for taking pictures and videos that can be shared across Facebook's suite of apps, including Instagram. And it will also have some biometric tracking, uh, like health app tracking. So it's interesting to me because for a couple of reasons. One is That Facebook is trying to get into the device space, which they haven't had a ton of success with before now. And secondly, Apple has, and this is ironic given what we just spoke about with the AirTags, but Apple has made a point of saying that they're very concerned with protecting privacy. Facebook, on the other hand, has been called out many times in the past few years for privacy breaches and collecting data that they really shouldn't be collecting on people. So pretty interesting that they are coming out with a watch um, it'll come out next summer. I think they, they're they estimating the price will be around $400. And then the second generation of it will be designed so that it will be a key input device for Facebook's planned augmented reality glasses, which Mark Zuckerberg thinks will one day be as ubiquitous as mobile phones. And I agree with Mark about yeah. that. I think that AR glasses are on their way. But what do you think? Would you get a Facebook watch? No, I wouldn't.
1: I feel like... Facebook for me, and I don't know if it's a generational thing or if everyone's kind of feeling it, has become this tired, negative space. And the only reason really I have one is because just like at a distance, people that I want to find out like how their lives are doing from high school or whatever, it's good to do that. But I rarely am on it. I don't really communicate on it very often. And obviously, they've had the issues you mentioned, Sue, with privacy and collecting data that they really shouldn't have been collecting and collecting it without your permission and without you knowing. I just wouldn't buy a device that Facebook came out with. I think it's kind of interesting and bold of them with their track record. Now, Instagram, on the other hand, and I get that Instagram is owned now by Facebook, but I'm more on Instagram than I am on Facebook. So, but that does Mm -hmm. not changed my mind of
0: like, oh, yeah, I want a Facebook watch. The idea would be you could use the camera that's integrated into this watch and then automatically post your pictures across Facebook and Instagram. However, you can do that anyway well, exactly. <laughs> right, with your phone now. And and this is going to be connected to LTE so that you would not have to go through a phone. It would literally be, I guess, that the watch will be sold in wireless carriers, physical stores. But, yeah, I don't think... I, it doesn't really speak to me either. I am, however, interested in Mark Zuckerberg's focus on AR glasses mm-hmm. down the road because I do think that's something that we're all going to be seeing uh, in the near future. Uh,
1: I think AR glasses are definitely—I mean—on the cusp, right, of coming out. I again, I don't know mm-hmm. if Facebook is the um, is that hardware provider like that's going to really stand out above the rest. I mean, not that I wish them. Ill will like. I, I hope that they flourish, and they. This is a new vertical for them that really um, is a is a positive way of kind of getting away from the things that were were not so great about Facebook and and the privacy issues. It gives me pause of like taking a picture with a Facebook device. As far as ownership of those images, are those mm-hmm. images mine? or because of some type of stipulation within your contract of having a Facebook LTE watch do they own a piece of it like i, I and maybe i'm getting way too far ahead of it this is my likeness this is my family this is my, these are my friends images that i'm posting what piece of our privacy and like as far as ownership am i giving up
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that reminds me of our conversation with Angela O'Neill of Nextra Solutions and Nexa mm-hmm. Pruitt, where she said, Anytime you post something, anytime you take a picture with your phone, anytime you post anything on uh, any social media platform, it's mm-hmm. out there forever. You may think you've deleted it. You may think that Snapchat and Instagram stories go away after a certain mm-hmm. amount of time, but they don't go away. They just go away from your, you know, maybe that particular um, front facing platform. Yeah. But they're still out there. And in general, we probably don't need more ways to quickly and without thinking about it post content that we can never Yeah, take back. Absolutely. <laughs> in general, well, I don't think another that's a thing, thing that we my brain's going down right now is like NFTs. I'm like
1: with that mm-hmm. ownership piece of it, like is it like this thing that goes out into the ether and then it's like this NFT that becomes valuable and then
0: Facebook owns it versus me. It depends on who owns that block in the blockchain, and that is a whole. Yeah, no, definitely,
1: definitely. <laughs> but all that to say, I, I'm hesitant with the with the Facebook hardware stuff. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, maybe optimistic. they'll you know blow me away, and I'll be uh, uh, pleasantly surprised. All right. So last one we have here uh, about like it may it may have been a week ago. Uh, Jeff Bezos has been in the aerospace field. Um, You know, we don't just get those nice Amazon boxes. He's been doing some cool science and uh, rocket launches, trying to test space tourism um, with his company, Blue Origin. But literally a week ago, he sold a $20 million seat on the new Shepard rocket ship via a live auction. And the identity of the winner has yet to be released. Um, It'll be announced within uh, a few weeks after they get kind of all the paperwork ready. However, this person has won a seat on the rocket alongside Jeff Bezos and his brother, along with one other person who has yet to be revealed. That identity will be um, announced later this month once the auction winner is announced. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be a four-person crew slated to lift off on July 20th, which also happens to be the 52nd anniversary of the Apollo 11 uh, moon landing. So there's some significance there. Um, this isn't the first time Jeff Bezos has kind of been in the, in the news. Uh, late December, it was announced that he's working with NASA on an engine that's going to be taking one of the first women to the moon. So, yeah, some interesting things there. But $28 million is a, is a hefty hefty ticket to pay. All is good. The bid will be donated to um, the phil- philanthropic organization called Club mm-hmm. for the Future, which promotes STEM and education. And that organization is uh, connected to Blue Origin. Um, but, yeah, basically, this is a seat on a rocket that eventually will be taking people up to space. The way they describe it is... The passengers will go up, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Karman Line, which is generally like the boundary of space that's 62 miles above Earth's surface. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll go up there, they're going to feel weightless for about 10 minutes, and then come back down to Earth. So, um, yeah, so basically this is kind of like that first, first expedition up to space, and this person has paid $28 million to do that.
0: I actually think space tourism sounds really cool. I think I, if I had $28 million or if the price comes down significantly, <laughs> I think I would do that. I think I would be <laughs> the first. I'm not that brave. I did. uh, I flew with the Blue Angels when I was a TV news reporter and we flew inverted. And that was like the bravest thing I've (laughs) ever done, probably. (laughs) But um, but to, to go to the very brink of outer space, I think would be cool. And I think I would do it, but I wouldn't be like one of the first. Would you? I think once it become
1: became more commercialized, yeah, and safety was all like in, not saying that safety isn't in place now, but once I became more comfortable with the idea, I think so. I think it'd be a thrill. Um, however, st- I would need to start saving now, and I encourage you to do the same, Sue, yes. because <laughs> the tickets are expected to be roughly five hundred thousand dollars each. So. Um. Yeah. Maybe start putting those pennies away. <laughs> Darn
0: it <laughs> for that. For the thrill of a lifetime. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that is better than twenty-eight million, but unfortunately, still out of the budget. So, yeah.
1: I. You know. I think again, as these things uh, become more commercialized and more uh, available to to general society, like you know, it, the price will come down eventually. But I, I think it needs to be at least palatable for me, like. even below a thousand dollars which i don't know i think that it's such a um novel thing that it's going to take a while to get there to be under a thousand dollars to do that type of thing
0: yeah maybe in our kids lifetimes yeah maybe maybe they'll be the ones to from the alava and robinson families to (laughs) venture into outer space (laughs) exactly exactly
1: but yeah lots of cool things uh happening all all the time and that 's why soon I want to get on uh, and share with you you know once or twice a, a month and just kind of review some of these things and get a conversation going because they 're happening they 're happening, and we need to be informed
0: and If you know about any of these four topics, if you know anybody in the organizations that we mentioned, or if you have ideas for things that we should cover on future episodes of this podcast, please let us know our our mission is always to educate and and bring things to light that maybe are not being commonly talked about and also we have some exciting news coming up vanessa and i are starting our own venture in media production and we'll be sharing more about that with you guys in the near term future too but we're going to be doing lots more educational content across all media forms to enlighten and empower women and girls in stem fields and beyond Yes,
1: officially entrepreneurs and really excited for the things to come. All that to say, you'll be seeing a lot more of us and hearing a lot more from us.
0: All right. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good.